0: Thank you for listening to this talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia.
1: is Sophie and we are members of the Vanguard here at AGSA. What, you may ask, is a Vanguard? In a sentence, according to the AGSA website, vanguards are a volunteer collective of change makers and great conversationalists. Essentially, we started out as a brand new program run by AXA at the beginning of this year consisting of a 12-week program for participants. with social justice, diversity, and the environment. 24 of us completed this journey at the end of May, and the program has now transformed into us sharing ideas and knowledge of art with the general public, and touring on topics and areas of interest that speak to us. You'll primarily find us touring on First Fridays, participating at Neo Lockout Nights, and helping out with any special interest or event tours. We claim no expertise We are simply lovers of art that are here to share stuff that we find interesting with you, so that hopefully you can appreciate art just that little bit more than you did before. Today, we have the privilege of giving the Tuesday Talk, and wanted to take that opportunity to speak about one of Adelaide's own, Doric Black. We were inspired to talk about Black today for three reasons. Number one, Elfreak talked last week about Jeffrey Smart and how Black influenced him, and we wanted to learn more two and three are what I have been calling footholds. A foothold is defined as a secure position from which further progress may be made. When it comes to footholds in art, it's about finding something within a piece of art that sparks interest for you, and how you can learn more, or be engaged more, because of that thing. For me, reason two, my foothold to learn more about Dorot Black is simply a love of painting as a medium, and the desire to learn more Sophie, Reason 3, we discussed, and will further discuss, how Black's use of math and geometry were Our talk will consist of a brief overview of who Black was and her life, followed by a discussion of two of her works that are on display here in Gallery 4. And
0: Hello, like Sarah said, my name's Sophie. I'm really thrilled to be here today taking the Tuesday talk. I've been an attendee of many Tuesday talks, so it's quite exciting to be up and talking So before we get into her work, specifically looking at the bridge and some other pieces on this wall, I'll provide a bit of an overview of her life and her career. So she was born in Burnside in 1891 and uh, studied at the South Australian School of Arts and Crafts. And she finished her studies in 1914, so in the early 1900s, and after her studies in South Australia, worked on her craft as being an Australian modernist. She was the first Australian modernist to go and study in London, which is fantastic. And whilst she was in London, her practice really consisted of lino printing and lino making, and this is how she made her modernist mark. I'll touch a bit more on lino printing and lino making, especially in colour, in just a second. And after her studies in London in modernism, like Andre Lote, who's featured up here, so a delightful pairing between the two. So she worked with Andre Lote and other Cubists to further push her work as a modernist and Cubist from South Australia. She moved back to Australia in 1929, and instead of moving back home to Adelaide, she moved to Sydney, which is where she opened up the modern art school in Sydney. She was the first woman to own a modernist gallery space in Australia, and it really set up, it was a really well established school, it was very well respected in terms of modernism. It was in, I think it was, let me triple check, 1931, 1933, she moved back to Adelaide. So she was established that school for a couple of years in Sydney and then moved back to Adelaide where she continued this modernist and cubist legacy and especially through teaching at the South Australian. Smart, who often recognizes his talks about her as a shot of adrenaline into his work, and I'll talk a, bit, a, a little bit later about maths and geometry. But that's something that Jeffrey really took into his practice from Black Here, which is really quite the inspiration, especially to artists from Adelaide. But she remained reasonably uh, underrecognized, even through her uh, significant amount of solo exhibitions here in Adelaide. She still ma- remained underrecognized and wasn't time here in Adelaide. She died tragically in a car accident in 1951, but she continued working throughout the 30s and 40s with this painting style and uh, wrote a lot for the, ad- advertiser, I think it was time, the advertiser about sort of po- uh, politics and art as well. She also remained unmarried, but just touching on that line South Australian uh, modernists using lino printing such as Dora Chapman, who we can just peek through there, and certainly it's the face there, it's great, just above the mantelpiece, but that's quite a lovely conversation between the two here, and again, looking at uh, the lino printing. Quite often the lino cutter was used from the inside of umbrellas and the printing process was done with the back of a spoon and without a roller. So that was really where she made her mark, through accessible materials
1: Life with Jug and Label. This is an oil work produced around 1935 that was acquired by the gallery in 2013 through the Art Gallery of South Australia Foundation Collectors Club. This abstracted still life was painted by Black after she had returned to Adelaide from Sydney and creates an interesting dialogue between the traditional idea of a still life and Black's strong push towards modernism. Black once said that realistic painting reached the end of that alley and been obliged to turn around and retrace our steps. Now we have started on the new track and already find it rich with new discoveries. This is very evident within her work. If we define a still life as a work of art depicting mostly inanimate subject matter, typically commonplace objects, which are either natural or man-made, and define modernism as a rejection of history and conservative values, such as realistic depiction of subjects, As innovation and experimentation with form, the shapes, colors, and lines that make up the work with a tendency to abstraction, and as an emphasis on materials, techniques, and processes, then this piece, and I'm sure many of Black's other still life works, all fit neatly into the category modernist still life. These seemingly polar opposite genres are combined by Black to create recognizable scenes with a burst of color and geometry that she has become known for with just a hint of her cubist training coming into play in the depiction of the ladle in the centre. So, what drew me to this particular piece is the way that it has been displayed in this gallery, right next to the jar that appears to be the subject of the painting. I had so many questions. Did the artist create both pieces? Was this a still life painted whilst the ceramic was still being finished? Perhaps in a studio situation. Aren't created by the same artist? How did they know each other? What situation led to the artist depicting another's work in their own? After doing a bit of research, I now have some of these answers. This earthenware piece was created by artist Anne Dangar in approximately 1934 in France. So, the pieces definitely have different creators. Dangar's ceramic was created earlier than Black's painting and on a completely different continent. So we can assume that it wasn't just the case of two creators creating in the same place at the same time. So, did Dangar and Black know each other? If so, how? These are questions that really gave me my foothold into this painting. So the answer is a big, solid yes. Black and Dangar did know each other. Actually, pretty much all of the artists on this wall, the paintings, they all knew each other. And three women presented more than anyone else on this wall so we have Dorrit black and danga and Grace Crowley they were not only Australian artists passionate about modernism but good friends that traveled and studied together black danga and Crowley met in Sydney around 1914-15 while studying Of ancient cultures, including Romanesque and Celtic styles, as well as Cubism in his work. These three female artists learned and created together in their formative years, and kept in contact over the years by writing letters in which they shared their artistic ideas. They even assisted each other when they were struggling financially. Knowing this now, this wall behind me in the gallery holds so much more meaning for me. Represented here, a strong individual female artists that were pushing forward and making waves with their art. This helps me personally to draw further connections between the pieces on the wall and keep looking for connections in their works to see how they may have influenced each other, not just artistically, but personally as well. I still can't answer all of the questions that I have about how Black ended up painting a
0: Quite drawn to the maths elements that we certainly see throughout these pieces. So, I think the first thing to mention is that when I first look at this painting, we quite often see a one horizon line, whereas when I think when we look at the bridge here, we see two horizon lines. You're welcome to disagree with me, but I see sort of this horizon line here where the ocean is, but then the second horizon line here where there's this introduction of land. So, we're immediately breaking this up into the golden rule of thirds, so we're breaking it up horizontally, but there's also a quite clear thirds in sort of the portrait scape, so this third, here and this third here, as I'm sure that's been made clear, and as Elle discussed last week, if you listened to that, or if you were at that talk as well, from these thirds we can also look at the cyclical nature of time, which in itself sort of function. So we can look at this as being a morning scape, this first third to a midday scape where we get these much brighter blues, and then an evening scape where the colours become a bit more muted once again in these sort of really twilight tonal colours. But if we have time running this way, we can perhaps expect to see time running from top to bottom or bottom to top. And this is shown in in 1930 in Sydney and the bridge was built in 1928 so it's a retrospective study of this bridge and again looking at time as being sinusoidal we sort of see this sinusoidal bridge perhaps so this is from 1928 this boat perhaps in comparison to boats at the time is of a previous time frame Um, I think boats in the sort of 20s period were much uh, sort of thicker in this shape, and also had thicker masts, and they, these look like they could be sail masts. So, I think see, we're seeing a change in time here, and then we're perhaps seeing a return to the 1920s with this power line, which is roughly when power lines were introduced in Australia and especially in Sydney. So, it's quite interesting seeing that sort of sinusoidal or periodic forms of time in this piece, and much like Jeffrey Smart. see that coming through this part of the painting here with the beautiful curvature that we're seeing in these blues. And what I love about this as well is that the flow of the harbour is correct. And I think the way that the colours morph into one another highlights that flow of the harbour, which is very, very cool as someone who likes. The um, the draw of the line between this, this sort of flat edge here going into that curvature. What I noticed just before as I was looking here, as we know that Black worked with Andre Lote above, this house very much pays tribute to perhaps this one up here. The structures are very similar. And as I discussed the breaking up of those horizon lines, this is not just a one-off in her work. We can certainly see that. So the geometry that she includes, I think, is really cool, especially from a math. Thank <laughs>
1: We'd be happy to take some. That is all good. Uh, Then, yeah, we're done. Um, Mm -hmm. If you want to come up and chat to us afterwards, that's fine too. But, yeah, thank you.